Welcome to What's Your Jersey podcast. I am your host, Jacqueline Marfuji. And yes, spoiler alert, I'm still recording in quarantine, West Hollywood, California. Uh, I'm excited though. My guest is actually in New York and he's awesome. And he's someone I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a very long time. And I don't know, he's he's such a great person and I feel like you guys are going to love him. So I'm excited to get to that. Uh, before we get to my awesomely talented guest, I just want to say to you, Meatballs, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, grazie, for um, supporting the podcast, especially during this time. It, it really means a lot. I got such good feedback about Stacey Beeman, who was my guest last week. She's the co-founder and COO of Plyo Jam, and she, she was definitely vulnerable and shared a lot of great stories and tips, especially on how to deal with anxiety and body positivity. So thank you for listening. And also, if you haven't listened, go check it out, guys. Um, also, I just want to say thank you. I, I feel like we can't thank all the healthcare workers and the first responders and also people that are working in supermarkets and pharmacies and just anyone that is helping us out during this time. Um, a huge, huge, huge thank you. Um, trying to get together um, a charity. I, I've worked with Feeding America with Plyo Jam. We donated money through them. And now um, we're relaunching a comedy show called Holy Cannoli Comedy, and we're working on getting a show started, I think, for the first week of June. And so if you have any recommendations of a charity that means a lot to you, please email me at whatsyourjerseypodcast at gmail.com. We're going to donate a lot of the proceeds to um, a charity that um, you guys are passionate about, that I'm passionate about. So let me know. I would love to hear from you. Um, guess what? Uh, you know, if you're a longtime listener of What's Your Jersey podcast, you know I love me some Lady Gaga. She just released a song. Here's a little soundbite for uh, you guys. It's called Rain On Me. I want I want your thoughts. I mean, it's her and Ariana Grande. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't the biggest fan at first, but now I've listened to it about 20 times. At first, I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like a knockoff from like Allie, A Star is Born, and like this would be like a second single release for her. But I'm into it. I feel like if we were all allowed to go out, we would be just fist pumping and making it rain to rain on me this summer. So I feel like, you know what? We can't do much. It's Memorial Day weekend. Go. Drive your car, go for a drive, roll down the windows, and blast some Lady Gaga. In my honor, do it. Um, this isn't a sponsored post, by the way. Uh, okay. I feel like we should get down to business. Um, business meaning skincare. Guys, I was just talking to my best friend, Melissa Soso. Um, shout out to Gigi. And she told me I should start like a skincare blog. I know I've talked about skincare a lot. And it's something that I've been going nuts about in quarantine because, you know, there's not much we can control while we're home. 
Um, so I had some uh, skincare tips. So I'm going to post on my website and I'll post on social media the things I've been doing to get through quarantine to try to, I don't know, save my skin, make me feel a little better about this whole stuck at home process. So I'll post that up for you guys if anyone's interested. And yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Um, without further ado, I, I've i known my guest for over a decade now, which is crazy. Um, and I'm so excited for him. He just had a movie that he was one of the stars of, Capone, released on iTunes. And it was number one on iTunes last week, which is really cool. Um, so I, I'm about to list all the credits. I just want you guys to really listen until the end. Uh, Gino's got great stories. And um, yeah, thank you again for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. It means so much. And without further ado, Gino Caffarelli. All right, meatballs, you are in store for such a goddamn treat. This this guy I've known for over a decade. He is so on brand with What's Your Jersey podcast. And I'm not going to lie, he has popped up on everything that you could possibly watch over the past few years. I mean, you've seen him recently in Bad Education on HBO, the movie Mob Town. He has the, the show Paradise City coming out, the movie Cruise, Ray Donovan, um, a tiny little film called The Irishman. And um, I'm not going to lie. I watched it last night. Capone. It was number one on iTunes last week. I am so freaking proud to bring on my friend, Gino Caffarelli. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, Jacqueline, thank you so much. How do I, I mean, how do I answer to such an amazing introduction? That was, that was really <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so much. That was very sweet of you. You well, see, you did all of that. That's well, all. You yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah, well, we we've talked about this. I think uh, last time I saw you um, in Jersey at Sopranos Con, I, um, yeah. you know, I um, I, I try to stay grounded. Um, you know, I, I I don't like to toot my own horn, but uh, when when I when you you say it like that and I hear it, it's just so sweet of you know people, you know, um, looking at the work because at the end of the day, it's always about you know moving forward and doing good work. Oh my God. I could cry. Like just even looking at your IMDb. Um, I'm well, so proud of you. Well, yeah, well, I mean, again, like, that was, you know, clean, you, you claw away. There's always kind of like grinding. I'm still grinding. You, you just, you, you claw away. Everything kind of um, is almost like a, uh, I don't want to say method to madness, but um, I always was a big believer in if you work hard enough, you know, everything will kind of work itself out. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's kind of like you're in it to win it. And I feel like you just keep your head down and you keep just choosing good work and working with people that you love. And, um, yeah. That's, that's, that's great that you say you keep your head down because um, you, there's got to be some type of focus, like, moving forward and have some type of idea of where you want to be. Um, you know, laws of attraction, if you want to say that. Like, I didn't know what that was, like, 20 years ago. I mean, as a kid, I always wanted to be a filmmaker and an actor. But I didn't know that that was actually – I was already manifesting that because, you know, that that uh, cliche saying whatever the mind can conceive, the mind, you know, will believe or believe can conceive, um, that holds so much truth to it. You know, I was doing it back then. I just wholeheartedly wanted to, you know, create and be an artist and be an actor. And, you know, fast forward, it seems like a blink, but um, it takes a lot of hard work. But uh, I love what I'm doing and I'm grateful for it. 
extremely oh. thankful and grateful for it. I mean, it's so funny because I feel like anyone that doesn't know you thinks that you're an overnight success, but any well, overnight yeah, well, success in this town has like 20 years of hard work behind it. It's so crazy. Well, my de- well, I we, we, I laugh because my definition of success, like, and again, it goes back to a, a, an old movie um, that most people probably have not seen. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, you know, like classic movies, but like the yeah. Pope of Greenwich Village, Eric Roberts' character says, like, you want to know the definition of success, Pop? I was like, like uh, two rows away uh, from, uh, you know, uh, Tony Bennett. And I, I you know, I, I, I paid, I had to pay, a sh- I had to pay a Shylock to get the, the money to go to that concert. Like this, everyone has their own uh, definition as, for success. Oh, you know, totally. Like, you, know, you know, you know, even a teacher uh, who wanted to be a teacher all their life, that's their definition of success. Everyone has their own definition of it. For me, like doing what I love and dreamt about it as a kid is a success. And I'm still, you know, grinding and, um, you know, uh, walking up that ladder. But you you put it very, um, very nicely that, you know, the success is uh, is a mindset also. Oh, for sure. It's so funny. Um, for me, so the last time I saw Gino was at Sopranos Con. and. Yeah. Like for me, that was, I left that convention and like met my family after like the whole weekend of doing it just because a lot happened. I mean, I, the meatballs know about you because we mentioned. The meatballs, I love it. You know what? I didn't even know that you called your listeners meatballs. That's fantastic. I, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love a meatball? <laughs> that's, so, that's so fantastic. You know, what's, yeah. crazy? You know what's crazy about Sopranos Con is that I wasn't even there. I mean, I got, the, I got a great Sopranos story on how, I mean, Sopranos got me my sad card, but I wasn't there as a cast member where technically I was a cast member in only one episode, but it got me my sad card and it was directed by Mike Figgis, who did Leaving Las Vegas, Internal Affairs, great director. It's the only episode he did on, on Sopranos. Um, that got me my sad card, Sopranos, but I wasn't there for Sopranos Con as a cast member because I was like, no, nah, I'm not, you know, it's not, I, I didn't, I never mentioned it to the creators of the con. Um, yeah. I was there just hanging out and helping out my my best friend Catherine Arducci, and then yeah. and then seeing a bunch of people I haven't seen in a while. So I was kind of there as a fan, and it was kind of wild that people were recognizing me from other projects that I worked on. But I was very grounded and just chilling out. Really, I was just hanging out. It was fun. Oh my god, it must have been so much fun for you. <laughs> oh no, it was just fun. It was like it was kind of like being a fly on the wall, and then every once in a while you'd get that, "Hey, you were in that." I'm like. And it, it was it was it was a lot it was a lot it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of you know it was a good time catching up with a lot of people I haven't seen in a while. Oh my god, it was amazing! I am so grateful because I randomly got to interview your best friend Catherine Narducci, and then you walked in in it, and we were just singing your praises. It was just a whole thing. Yeah, and and it was the first time I actually because we spoke on social media. It was the first time I met Nikki Petito. It was a doll. Oh, uh, love Nikki. He's a doll. He's a doll. I love that kid. He's very talented. And I'm like, how old are you? He's like, uh, 20, what is he, 23, 24. I'm like, I'm like, listen, like as far as like, like he's got a passion, he's, he's got it in him, which is fantastic. And I love that he's so, you know, a sweet kid as well. And that was the first time I met him. So it, to me, being and hanging out that weekend was like, you know, meeting new people and then catching up with a lot of old people. And then surprise, you were there too. It was funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, I do. We did mention Catherine. I had a little game that I've been playing with everyone while we're in goddamn quarantine. Um, I thought it would be fun to play. Who would you rather quarantine with? 
So I'm going to give you a few options. Okay. So I, I couldn't, I know like it would be a Sophie's Choice question. I feel like if I paired up Catherine Narducci against any other actress. So, yeah, you know, you can't, it's, it's not fair because she's like my best friend. So you can't exactly. really kind of like put her in the mix. But, um, so yeah, I'm going to give you two yeah, options. This is kind of, this, this is fun. Sure. Yeah. Um, who would you rather quarantine with? Catherine Narducci's character in The Sopranos or Catherine Narducci's character in The Irishman? Um, probably Catherine Narducci's character in Sopranos because, you know, she owned a restaurant and she can cook. So there's a lot of cooking going on in quarantine right now. So, um, oh the character, the character in, uh, in the Irishman, she smoked a lot. So I'd have a problem with the smoke. So that's no good. That's a no, no. Oh I mean, she really killed it with the just smoking a cigarette. She was exquisite at just puffing away. She was There's amazing. All these great little moments that, you know, her as a, an incredible actress uh, knows how to do. She's, yeah. she's awesome. And not because she's my best friend. I'm not tooting her horn because she's my best friend. Um, I was a fan of hers before we became best friends. So she's, she's, she's got it. And she's, she's a, a force to be reckoned with. So Sorry. hi, Bestie. I know you're going to be listening to the podcast. <laughs> yes. Hi, Catherine. Um, so you mentioned cooking. And right before we started recording, Gino was talking about cooking and how I feel like since we've all been locked away, we've had to like step up everything we do in the kitchen. And I, I don't know about you, but like my passion for cooking and trying out new recipes has just gone off off the rails. Like I, I know, and I agree with you a thousand percent. Like I um I was a little like in the beginning when we locked down, like ordering food and and you know I, you know I, I like Grubhub every once in a while, but I'm also yeah. I love to cook, but I don't I don't cook all the time because. You know, I, you know, go back and forth. My daughter lives with her mom and, but she spends a lot of time here at my place. And yeah. I cook when I cook, went back, back, when I say back then, pre quarantine. But since I had a lot more time, I just been very, I guess, into the cooking thing. But I'm like, well, what am I going to make tonight? I'm like, what am I going to make? And I got to give big props to, um, my mom's, uh, my, my daughter's mom who stacked my fridge with a bunch of food that I would use to cook with. So props to Irina for stacking my fridge with food. And I just started like experimenting and started cooking. And I, at one point I recorded one of my like little cooking sessions and I put, I put together like a little scissor wheel for like a little fun cooking show. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I was just kind of like, at this point we have to adapt, right. To like, oh, yeah. But, um, I, but I, but I love, I love, I love food, obviously being Italian and, um, I love to cook now. Well, I, I loved cooking, but I just found a, uh, a, a more of an amazing passion for cooking. Cause it's also an art form, you know? Oh yeah. Tell us what your favorite thing to cook right now is. Well, I gotta tell you, I knocked one out of the park <laughs> really grand slam. Um, just the other day I called my mom like, ma. And then I had asked uh, Irina, my, my, my daughter's mom, because she makes great chicken cutlets and my mother makes great chicken cutlets. And I'm like, I want to try to like make chicken cutlets. I never made chicken cutlets before. And I'm like, it's pretty like, you know, straightforward like recipe, right? But yeah. I kind of like a little twist into it. I picked up, you know, uh, you know some of my uh, mom's homemade um, uh, that she had uh, breadcrumbs. And then I had some 4C whole wheat breadcrumbs. And then, you know, you, you, you crack the egg, you put a little uh, – uh, you know, cheese uh, mixed uh, Parmesan with the uh, Pecorino Romani, mix it up. And that's kind of like your batter. And then you get nice, nice thinly sliced cutlets and you batter them up and then you throw them in the vegetable oil. And I was 
out of my mind, like impressed with how delicious my chicken cutlets were. I was, <laughs> and, and, and that, that I didn't film, but I, I filmed the week before my first time making chicken, chicken meatballs. So I was impressed by the chicken meatballs that came out a little salty. Okay. But my chicken cutlets that I made the other day, I think it was Sunday, were off the charts. Off the okay, charts. So I was like, I have yeah, a question. Do you, did you pound the chicken cutlets also or did you just get really No, sick? no. You know what? I went – well, of course – um, thank you, courtesy of Irina. She bought me, I said, could you pick up some chicken cutlets? Because I mean, I've been doing some food shopping, but yeah, she, you know, always every once in a while says, what do you need? I'm at the supermarket, you know, speak now, forever hold your peace. And I start laughing. I'm like, can you pick up some like thin chicken cutlets? I know you like, like pound your own, but like if there's a thin, she goes, chicken's hard to come by right now. I'm like, just check. She got me thin sliced so easy to prep for me because I didn't want to like like do the cutting. They were perfectly thin and I didn't pound them at all. At all. And they were still that delicious. You're I don't know if I want I don't know if I want to plug who who made the chicken, but it's one of those famous commercial guys that we grew up with. Is it that is, <laughs> yes. yes. Fantas- <laughs> fantastic. And again I never rave about my cooking but damn, those chicken cutlets. Irina, great chicken cutlets. My mom, great chicken cutlets. But again, I don't like to toot my own horn. Grand slam on the chicken cutlets. Done. I, um, I have never made chicken cutlets. That's the one thing. So you're inspiring me. I am going to make chicken cutlets. I even have them in the fridge right now. So thank you. Let, me tell, you. let me tell you. All you need, I, it's so basic that I, I never knew it was that basic. I was like, you're kidding me. That it's that easy? And the, the key is... I love, um, you know, vegetable. Uh, I love um, uh, olive oil, but the key to uh, doing cutlets is vegetable oil. And I don't, I'm not a big fan of the frying, but I mean, I grew up with like fried chicken cutlets. As long as you pat them down when they're done. Yeah. Um, again, they were just, they, they, they were off the charts, juicy, thin. I'm raving. I, I think I may shoot that segment on my chicken cutlets next. Episode. I think you should. So I actually, I used to produce a comedy show out here that was sponsored by Fat Sal's and Big Mama and Papa's Pizza. And it was called Holy Cannoli. And so we had comedians, actors, we had musicians on stage. It was like a variety show and we had all that food. So we're actually in talks right now to do kind of like, I know we complained about Zoom before, but a Zoom holy cannoli show, but adding in the cooking element where we we kind of just have people on cooking and telling jokes and stories while they're cooking. So we have to have you. I always hear great, I I always hear great things through my, you know, being that I lived in LA and and I still, you know, associate with a lot of friends in LA. I hear only great things about Fat Sal's and I love, you know, the food there. I just never tried it. You believe it? All my friends are like, and they were the ones that owned Happy Endings at one point, right? On Sunset? Yeah. A couple of the guys? Yeah. And um, their food looks so fat bastard y. Oh my God. No. Oh. It's, it's I just, every time I go by, every time I like, again, before pre quarantine and pre lockdown, I would go to LA once a month and I always say, I got it. Like, but every time I go to LA, I'm like, oh, let me eat a, eat a little lighter. I, you know, I gotta go there and try their fat bastard food. It's it's amazing, yummy looking. Every time I see my friends posting, so props to them. That's yeah. that's dope. That's great. Yeah, no. So we're gonna resurrect it. Well, I'll have you on. It'll be so much fun. You can make your chicken cutlets. Um, oh, off the charts. All right. <laughs> I have two more for you. Okay, who would you yeah. rather quarantine with, Al Capone or Jimmy Hoffa? <sighs> 
<laughs> Probably. Um, I love these questions. These are fun. Uh, Al Capone. Al Capone, because he seems like he would. He seems like if like he would have like uh, no Janutes, Gino Caffarelli, like now or back then, we our personalities would click because he was a loyal guy to his friends that he loved, and I would make him laugh. So that would be an, an easy. Jimmy Hoff, I think, was a little more serious and a little more kind of like judgmental. So definitely Al Capone. Al Capone, good answer. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And last but not least, Daryl Strawberry or Mike Piazza. Ah, okay. I got to say, though, I know uh, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine who just did a cake for Mike Piazza. What? He just did a a cake uh, when he retired his jersey at City Field. I just ordered my my daughter's um, birthday cake. Um, And he's been a friend of mine for like, I haven't seen him in a while, but uh, he was from a a back in the day guy who became a great baker. Like he's an incredible baker. Uh, He does cakes. His name is um, Don and it's in his company. His business called the Cake Don, and I just had this conversation with Piazza. Um, I love Mike Piazza as a player, but I had a little bit of a weird interaction with Mike Piazza twenty years ago. Really? Um, he lightened up a lot. I heard because, and I know why he lightened up because he got married, he had two daughters. That's twenty years ago where he was kind of like yeah, a little more. He Too wasn't the mo- he wasn't the most sociable guy twenty years ago, but I hear now he's like a gentleman, and I get it. Say that happens with people. Um, I would, I would, okay. I would, like, if this is the answer, I'm going to go with this answer. So, if it was Mike Piazza now, I would want to hang out and be quarantined with Mike Piazza now. If it's Mike Piazza from 20 years ago, no. <laughs> um, but I love Daryl Strawberry because he loved that um, when he was with the Yankees after the Mets. Uh, me, and my partner, me, and my partners, we wrote a Yankee song. Uh, and he loved that song. And then I met him a few times after that, and he was always a gentleman. So I'm going to have to go equal, even though Mike Piazza kind of was a little a little, a little, standoffish about 20 years ago. I'm not afraid to say it. That was 20 years ago. And I get it, Mikey. I get it, Mikey Paisano. But I heard you lightened up a lot. And uh, I, I'm most likely going to run into you again, and we're going to have a good laugh. Yeah. I would rather Daryl Strawberry 20 years ago because he would probably be very fun in quarantine. Yeah, Mike Piazza <laughs> 20 years ago was still a bachelor. He was the king of New York. Yeah. Uh, now he's married, two daughters. Like, he's totally t- taken a different route. But I hear as a gentleman, and not that he wasn't a gentleman before, but the interaction that I, you know, my people had with him, because me and my boys back in the day, 20 years ago, we did a song called The 12 Days of Guido Christmas. And he was number seven. On the seventh day of Christmas was seven Piazza jerseys. So oh my gosh, we thought, we, we thought he was going to show us a little love. And he showed us, None. as we say, Zippo. <laughs> <laughs> no. But it's, but it's okay. I still love, I still love my, I still love my Piazza. Um, Gino, you posted beautiful pictures of you and your daughter. I want to know, how has it been? So you're quarantining in New York right now. Have you been able to see her during quarantine? Like, how has that been going? Thousand percent from the get go. I mean, um, more more than before. You know, I do spend a lot of time with my daughter, even pre quarantine. Yeah, um, she stays with me um, um, every you know weekend or every other weekend. Uh, but I see her a lot during the week because um, you know her her mom lives about twenty minutes from me. Um, but because of lockdown and quarantine and homeschooling, uh, and being that my um, you know uh, her mom 
uh, being in the essential business because they're in the grocery business, like uh, drive-through uh, grocery business, which just went through the roof. Not that they weren't doing well before, but went through the roof during quarantine. Oh, yeah. um, and with the homeschooling, we've been splitting it up, you know, a lot, a lot more, and we worked on a different schedule. So I get to see her a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I actually today just, just dropped her off, and then I'll pick her up back in a couple of days. Um, it's been a lot of fun, but challenging with the homeschooling because it's there's a lot of uh, just a lot of work, you know, between setting up the Zoom meetings with the teachers and the homework. Um, it's been challenging, but a, an incredible. Um, uh, you know, time just hanging out with her a lot more because she's so funny and it's so innocent when children don't know what's really what's going on. She kind of knows about the, the germs outside and that okay. she's got to wear a mask, you know, when we go into the elevator, when she's leaving my place or walking to my car and then getting in my car. Um, we haven't been like going anywhere with her, just like, you know, between my place and her mom, you know, her mom's place. Um, she doesn't really interact, you know, she sees, interacts with people with family, but we used to do a lot more stuff. Like I love taking her to the movies. I loved taking her to the movies wow. uh, and that kind of stopped. So it kind of had to adapt to watching, you know, video on demand movies. Like, thank God, like, um, Scoop came out on demand and trolls. Like, I've seen like, yeah, did you like so- Scoop? I did because there was a lot. There were a lot of Easter eggs in, in that in that uh, in that film. I love I love Scooby Doo. I love Hanna Barbera, and um, Tony, yeah. who directed that film, I started conversing with on Instagram. Who directed Scoop? I said you did a fantastic job with this because there's a lot of Easter eggs in that movie. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. The opening like, shot you're, you're going to love the opening shot of that movie. Really? Why? So cool. I I don't well I don't want to spoil it for you. It's so cool. <laughs> Okay, it's fine. So, it's so cool. Okay, so I watched your movie Capone last night. Oh my gosh, um, Gino. Yes, I there you. There were colors of Joe Pesci in Casino. There is a scene where I was not expecting you. I mean, I don't want to do any spoiler alerts, but you go in on a guy, and it's so amazing because I've never seen you really get to that level. I, I Do you know which scene I'm talking about? Yes, I do know. And I, you know what? I kind of, I knew, I, and I, I own it. I think it's like, you know, it's positive and, and beautiful that people uh, compare it to that. Because I knew when I was doing it that people are going to be like, this is like a Joe Pesci moment. <laughs> no, but it was more subtle. Like it was so connected and I believed every single thing you did. And I have to say the best line in the entire movie was you saying, you okay, Fonz? When he was, you know, shooting things up, I literally, I was like, stop. <laughs> it's so good. It's, um, again, you know, the feedback, I'm getting great feedback. And, you know, art is very, again, not to be cliche, it's very subjective. So people are either going to hate it or love it or yeah. want to like throw it in the fire or praise it. Yeah. Um, it's not, this film most likely Again, is not for everyone. If they're expecting like a you know like um, uh, the rise and fall of like a of, a of a gangster or a character, it's not. It's the last year of his life. So there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, but take you on a ride and something that's never been done before. Like I, you know, you know, you know, the psyche of a gangster rise and fall, Scarface, Goodfellas, Henry Hill. Like we've seen it before. Even Casino with the rise and fall of. You know, Ace Rothstein, like we've seen it and I love 
those movies. Yeah. But being that it was just a real different point of view of seeing someone isolated, well, excuse me, we're isolated in a ho- isolated in his house. Where is he going? Besides going, no spoiler alert, he loves to fish. He goes on a boat, like to go fish. He's pretty much in his house. Like he he left Alcatraz. Um, he got he got into Alcatraz in thirty one. Got released like forty one, forty two. So he's living at his house for like five years, six years, and the whole movie is the last year of his life. So what do you think is going to happen? Like he's yeah. suffering from syphilis and dementia. He's losing his mind. And he's got the mentality of an like eleven year old. Um, yes, film fans. He's eleven in the film, pretty much. He's grunting. He's moaning. He's saying things that don't make sense. Uh, that makes sense to me. Like everybody's interpretation of that film is going to be a lot different than the next person. Um, so I was kind of going with. I knew where the director who wrote the screen uh, screenplay as well was going for, uh, and just had to play it in different segments of present day. I'm protecting his family and him at his home. And then not to give any way any spoilers, there's certain, you know, like kind of like flashback, you know, I've been with him for like 20 years, so I know him. So you kind of see like the different colors of my character, even though my name is Gino. Um, <laughs> was it written that way or did they do that for you? What? How did that come about? Well, Josh, Josh Trank, uh, I met on uh, big fan that was uh, written, directed by Rob Siegel and Josh was a producer and editor on that, and I got to know Josh through that. So he got to know what type of actor I was. And, you know, there's really no secret in why he, you know, he called him Gino. He wrote the character with me in mind. Like, I know that, like, that character could have went to any, you know, any kind of, like, top, like, tier character actor. I know. Uh, and the fact that he wrote that with me in mind and offered me that role – I'll always be extremely grateful to Josh Trank, uh, one talented individual um, who just, when I read that script, was, wow, this is different and this is wild. And thank you for having me involved with it. Thank you. That was pretty much it. And I, and I, and I love that he's getting great feedback from this film. You know, again, you're going to have your mixed, you know, you're going to have your mixed people. But for the yeah, most yeah. part, I, I love to look at art as being – you know, art is art. Everybody's going to either throw it in the fire or praise it. Well, I like well, to like when it was, you know. You know. Um, um, I also feel like we're all Al Capone right now, just stuck in our right? house. I'm saying, I, I see, but again, like, you know, you know, the, the I don't want to say the regular, like, viewer, like, that wanted to see, you know, kind of like that shoot him up, bang him up, and doesn't get the psyche of what's going on in this gangster's mind. Like... Uh, we're in we're in lockdown. We're in isolation. He's isolated in in, in a world of like what's going on right now. You want to challenge the viewer when they're watching a movie. You don't want. Yeah, you know, I, I know people want to be spoon fed today, yeah. but you watch that movie a few times, you're gonna start realizing that is an incredible way of telling the story, regardless of how you feel about the performance or. Oh, well, Tom Hardy's not Italian. Why is he playing Al Capone? Called Listen. acting. Thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, speaking of acting, Gino and I met in acting class at Studio Dante. Crazy. That's again, insane. That's, again, we're going back now. We're going back. 
Like we reconnected in LA yeah. in 2006, seven, but what was that? 2002? No, after, that was after it was, I think 2006. Yeah. No, but LA was 2006, but I'm saying Studio Dante was like 2002, right? Well, no, I was still in college then. It was right after I graduated and I graduated 2005. Guys, do the math. Um, oh, shit. Because yeah. oh, uh, I moved to LA in 06, but I was at Studio Dante before that. Though, before I'm- Yeah, no, it was before that. But I was like on my way out when um, I, I had moved to LA and I want to say 2007. Or two, I don't even know. We're old. Um, <laughs> I don't know dates. Um, but even before that, Gino is from the East Coast. And What's Your Jersey is all about finding out where my guests are from, how they got to where they are. So Gino, tell the meatballs where you're from and what you were like, like growing up and how this all manifested into this incredible body of work that you have. So I was born and raised, uh, well, I was born in uh, Astoria. My parents, when they came here in, uh, they got married at the Astoria Manor, 68, 69, grew up in Astoria, 69 through mid, like mid seventies. And then my parents moved to Flushing, home of the Mets, uh, which was borderline to Whitestone. Um, so I grew up, I grew up in Flushing pretty much. All my life was flushing Whitestone Bayside. What's that? The TV show The Nanny was the first time I knew what Flushing Yeah, was. yeah. I saw, I saw it was all in the family. Yeah, it took place in Flushing. So yeah. um, between Flushing, between Flushing, Bayside, and Whitestone, it was within like a, again, a two, three-mile radius. So I pretty much like was really born and raised in uh, in Queens and then moved out to LA in 06. Um but I, w- I was I was in corporate America pretty much all my life. I was always uh, selling something. Mm-hmm. I was always I went to college. I got my degree. Uh, I went to St. John's. I started as a pharmacy major because I had the grades from high school. Uh, pharmacy was not my thing. I couldn't picture myself being behind a counter counting pills. That wasn't my thing. I just it no. wasn't me. So I just said, you know, what, let me just do the business degree. I was on a ten year plan, but then I started working. And then I was always selling something. I sold cars. I sold Saturns. I sold BMW. I sold Lexuses. Um, I got into the car business. And then I got into the telecom business. I worked for Sprint. And then fast forward like 90s, I was in corporate America and just said, you know what? I got to get back to what I really always wanted to do. Like in the early 90s, I was putting on little plays, like little dinner theater plays. And I said, I got to get back to what I really love doing. And I, and I started just I, – it really all started back to uh, doing murder mysteries. You believe it? What? I, put on, I was doing murder mis- – I produced murder mysteries in Queens in 1992-93. And then fast forward, um, I said, I got to get back to this and then started dabbling with doing some writing, getting on – you know, getting some of my skits on radio. And then eventually made my way to Studio Dante. I said, you know what? I want to I want to get back to acting because I took a couple of classes when I was younger and they were, you know, workshops, but I respected Michael Imperioli as an actor and he had a, he had a great great um um studio called Studio Dante and I said, let me audition and get my feet wet, you know, feet wet again with the acting. I auditioned for Studio Dante and that gave me the confidence to start getting back into the acting. Um 
And then I just decided out of a whim, just, you know, I had a great corporate job with Verizon and I left a cush job at Verizon to just kind of like pack two bags and say, you know, I'm going to LA, but I didn't want to be like that. Again, the cliche thing of like, oh, I'm going to LA to be a star. No, I said, I'm going to LA. I just want to get away from New York and, you know, I'm not going out there to be an actor, but, you know, just like test the waters and see who I, who I meet and who I run into. And a friend of mine by the name of Matt Musio said, well, I got a, you know, a friend of mine, he's got a couch in Santa Monica. You want to come out? I'm like, definitely. I quit Verizon. I packed two bags, put a couple of thousand dollars in my pocket and moved out to LA. Yeah. And, and then things kind of progressed from there, kind of almost like Canterbury Tales, like choosing the path. And I chose the right path because when you don't really kind of like say, well, because you don't want to be disappointed. So I went out there with an open mind and it was the best decision I ever made was moving to LA and getting getting away from New York for for a, for a only a small period of time, of course, being six years because I love New York. But my mother says like, well, you could have, you know, you could have did what you wanted to do if you stayed in New York. I'm like, no, ma, you're not understanding. It's like kind of like a chain reaction. I moved to LA and this happened. And then I met that one and like, you know, uh, you know, boomerang comes back to you uh, like a pinball machine, like stuff's kind of like bouncing around. And that's what inspired me to actually work on my film Cruise that was inspired by a short story that I shot called Franny Lou. So that like moving to L.A. inspired me to kind of write about how I grew up in New York because living in L.A., I met people that said, write what you know, be authentic. I'm like, okay be authentic. So I started writing about what I knew growing up in my neighborhood 30 years ago. And fast forward 30 years later, it's now on Hulu as a film called Cruise. So everything kind of happens for a reason. I want to know what advice do you have to people? Because I feel like you met just such a great core group of friends and that really helped you kind of like keep going and stay grounded and whatnot. Do you have any advice for someone that I know this is a weird time to be like uprooting and moving anywhere to work on stuff, but yeah, but um, definitely, you know, my time in quarantine, I've reflected. I've also, um, you know, been creative. I had my ups and downs in quarantine, of course, because you have your good days and your bad days, but um, definitely, definitely go with your gut. Um, if something's calling you, do it. You don't know have you don't have to know how to do it. Just believe that you can do it. Um, and a lot of people they think that because they fall once they can't get back up. But you know, there's going to be a lot of rejection in this business. Absolutely, thousand percent. I went through it. Thousands of accomplished you know uh, artists have gone through it. Just keep your chin up, get back up, move forward, and be authentic and be creative and. Um, everything will work out. Like if you really believe it, everything else will work out. Like you don't have to know how to do it. Just know you're going to do it. I love that. And I love um, the movie Cruise. I want you to tell us, I mean, I mentioned all the things you've done before, but I haven't mentioned like producer, writer, director, all of that. I want to know, you know, what your experience was like on that movie. Uh, just an incredible experience. Um, tell them who's in the movie and stuff. Tell them about the cast and the premise and all that. Okay, so Cruise is kind of like a throwback to uh, loosely based on, you know, me growing up in Queens, throwback, great music, great cars, great clothes, an innocent time, 
almost like the, you know an American graffiti set in 1987, how I grew up. Um, I wrote it as a short story. I was going to pitch it as a series uh, based on a, a boulevard, uh, a strip called Francis Lewis Boulevard. Franny Lou is the uh, nickname it got. Um, I wrote it as a pilot, uh, but I worked with Rob Siegel, who uh, wrote and directed a big fan that I worked on and had a relationship with. And he loved he loved the concept and wanted to write and direct it as a film. And I'm like, fantastic. So it was, again, a, a journey. Um, you know, it didn't happen overnight. That was like an eight to 10 year journey. You know, we have uh, me pretty much playing my father. Uh, <laughs> Spencer Bowman is playing loosely based on me. He's playing Gio, which is, is not too far from Gino. Uh, Catherine Oducci playing my mom. Uh, loosely based on my mom. Uh, we have Sebastian Maniscalco. But, yeah, again, no spoilers if you haven't seen it. Playing the, you know, the uh, the heavy, the bad guy. Uh, Emily Rajkowski playing the love interest. Uh, Noah Robbins, uh, Lucas uh, Salviano. Um, it had a great, fun cast, but it was also the journey that got there because a lot of people in the neighborhood that grew around that culture and around that time period. They were they were always hearing about a movie that was going to be done about their neighborhood, and I was very thankful and grateful to be the one that actually brought it to the table and made it happen. But there were a lot of bumps, but very grateful that Rob Siegel, who wrote The Wrestler and wrote and directed Big Fan, wanted to do it as a film, um, and we we pulled it off. And it's a lot of fun. There's really no messages in the film. It's just a, it's an incredible crowd pleaser. It's going to take you back. Yeah. So, you know, any, any of your meatballs want to just listen to great music from 87, take a cruise and experience the, you know, summer of 87 in White Stone, Queens, that's the film for you. That's so good. Um, I want to know what it was like getting the call that you booked a Scorsese film, The Irishman. Well, again, that again, uh, again, the, the, the normal, uh, the, the norm of like thinking that happened overnight was an, uh, again, another myth. That was a fun, another fun ride. Also, like I read the book years before. Yeah. When I heard Ellen Lewis was casting it, I um, took a, I took a character from the book. I wrote a monologue. I basically wrote a monologue, and then I put myself on tape and I sent it to the agent, my my boy Jr. in L.A., who I've been with um, for ten years now. Just character, great old school agent, solo. Guy Beverly Hills, amazing. I sent him. I sent him the tape. He says, "Okay, I'm gonna send. I'm gonna send it to Ellen Lewis." I'm like, "I know she's kind of like hard to, you know, crack." And he gets it to her. She loves it. She goes, "I got to show Marty." Marty sees it. He goes, "I like him, but call him in and read for you," because she's been casting his movies for so long. I go in for him. So it's all about doing the homework pre, right? I do the homework, and then I go. I go in for Ellen. And I do the audition, and then I'm like, okay, I get through my audition. I'm like waiting, waiting, waiting. And then like, like a couple of months go by, and I'm asking my age, I'm like, well, what's going on? She's like, well, she says you're up for three roles. And I'm like, okay, and? And crickets, because like three months go by. And I get it. It's Alan Lewis. It's Martin Scorsese. It's a process. Yeah. I thought it was kind of like over with. And then I get the call, or the agent gets the call, and he calls me. He's like, listen. It works five days. You're most likely going to have no lines, but you're playing a political figure from Philly back in the day. 
but you're going to be sharing a table with uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in a, full, in a room full of like other actors in the film. I'm like, yeah, uh, yes. Would you want to, would you be interested? I'm like, yeah. So I wind up doing that with no lines, knowing going into the film, I'm, I'm going to have no lines. Like, did I do some improv on when we were shooting? Yeah, but I knew that most likely would have no lines. But it was Martin Scorsese. It was a film they've been talking about for years. And I'm like, I would have done that for free. <laughs> I would have did that. I would have did that for free. So it was an incredible experience. But also, again, there's baby steps and how I like it got to that point. Um, and props to Alan Lewis because you know Marty, like even though even it's even even though it's a no lines character in the film, but it's a you know prominent figure in that storyline. Yeah. Um, Marty's got to prove everything, and then. She calls me up like a year later, I think it was, or two years later. And she's like, would you be interested in coming in and reading for a Long Island character? Uh, I'm casting a film called Bad Education. I'm like, are you kidding? Of course. Yeah. Um, again, through a relationship, through, you know, meeting Alan Lewis, uh, she casted me in Bad Education. So, you know, trigger effect. She saw me in a different, like, world of, like, so she got me as an actor and I'm grateful to casting directors that do get me as an actor because I went from, you know, wh whether playing a, a gangster or playing a political figure to playing a, you know, Long Island dad. You know, she's an incredible casting director. She gets the actor. Oh, totally. And you were wonderful in that. Um, another movie that I loved, and you actually got to work with PJ Byrne, who's a close family friend and yeah. also is coming on the podcast, um, was Mob Town. Um, PJ, PJ. PJ is hilarious. Like is he's, hilarious. he's just like he's <laughs> okay. I got a great story with PJ. Like quick, I don't want you know. I don't want to like go ramble on. But yeah, a friend of mine who I went to high school with, who's a, a showrunner and a director, Marco Siega. He shot something like ten years ago when I moved to LA. It, it, it you know, he, it was like a pilot presentation. It didn't go anywhere. But I first met PJ on that before he like went to like Wolf of Wall Street and a bunch of other movies. And I loved his personality. I loved what he brought in front of the camera and off the camera. So I loved PJ. When I, when I ran into him again was on the set of Mob Town, but I've been following like him, like through his years of like what he's been doing. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's like, he's so improv, you know, his improv skills are like through the roof. Like yeah. he's, a great actor because it's like he's naturally born to like become who he needs to become in any moment. He'll like, he'll drive with you. It's almost like he's a musician and be like, okay, we're going to do this jazz number. And like, listen, PJ, you're going to come in with this bass and like, make sure you're like, he's like that, like jazz player in the band that just played for the first time. That's going to jive with the band. He gets it. He's awesome. That's so cool. I mean, that's and he's, like, he's like, he's got the last name burned, but he's like half Italian. I know. <laughs> it's great. No, him and his whole family. They're amazing. He, um, he officiated my cousin Will's wedding a few years ago and he, uh, he's 
He's so amazing. Um, he's st- he still owes me a uh, a play date when my uh, when I finally bring my daughter to L.A. He's got go. uh, these kids. He's got yes, we have a play date with my kid, and he's got a, he's got some munchkins that uh, we're gonna have fun because he's got a, a nice little setup there. Oh yeah, he's, uh, he's a sweet he's a sweet guy. I, lo- I I hope to work with PJ again. He's awesome. Do you have a um, favorite story? I mean, you've worked on so many sets, so many shows. I know you have Paradise City coming out. I know you worked with Drea De Mateo on that. Um, Prop, props to that. That again, that was done. That was. Um, I got a call from one of the producers, Lorenzo Antonucci. He said, "You know, there's this role about this like promoter from New York that moves to LA that promotes his band. Would you be interested?" I'm like, "Thank you, Lorenzo." So and. Um, that group of people, like um, uh, Ash Avelson, who um, is the director and show creator on that show, they were all fun to work with. And I got to give them props because that kind of came out of left field also. So it was a very organic. Uh, Andrea, like she came from Whitestone, from Malba, uh, from my neck of the woods, and we never got to work together or actually talk. She's, she's incredible. Like she's like so grounded and so funny. Um, so I wish them all the best with that because I think that's a win. That's a great, great concept and a great show. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. That I actually, but I, I do have, but I do have a few, Jack. I know it's hard yeah. to. No, I, do a, I don't know which the favorite would be, but I think the most memorable would be being directed by De Niro on The Good Shepherd. That yeah. was like the, um, that was kind of like the wake up moment for me. I would say. What that was, was that the, right. Well, I was, you know what? It's funny. I was doing, I, uh, I didn't want to do it, but I, I, um, I got, I got great, great advice from a lot of people in the business before moving to LA. Mm-hmm. I got offered to do a reality show that was on NBC. I won't say what it was, but it was fun. I knew it would go away. And if I was myself and I added a little acting and it was still, my name was Gene. It was a dating show. Okay. Um, um, I went out to LA to do that, that, that show. And then I wind up, getting a call to do some standing work to go to New York. And then I go back to New York and I wind up doing this standup work and then going back to LA to do this reality show and then going back after to do and read for De Niro on this Good Shepherd movie. And I wind up reading for De Niro and I wind up getting this role as like Joe Pesci's bodyguard to having scenes with Matt Damon with him directing being that I was an extra in a Bronx tale, I'm like, uh, so that was kind of like the wow moment, like, okay, wow. So there I'm sitting in my bed the night before shooting. How is De Niro going to direct me? I had all these thoughts of like, what is he going to say? How is he going to do it? Like, cause he's an actor and he's directing, he did a Bronx tale and he's worked with Scorsese. It was just very, so basic, like basic, like basic, basic, and easy breezy, like walk in, do your thing, look at your surroundings, deliver your lines. And it was so basic, but to me it wasn't basic because I'm being directed by Robert De Niro and I'm doing scenes with Matt Damon and Joe Pesci. So for me, that was kind of like the wow, wow moment. Like, all right, like that was, I I, kind of want to take this and move it a lot forward. And that was 2005, six, and then I moved to LA. Wow, that was kind of like the the, the the wow moment and then the fun moment. I but, and, but, but Joe, but Joe Pesci was breaking my balls on the set. That's the that's the funny story about that. He was definitely breaking my balls on that set. 
<laughs> okay, so he's like loose and can be funny. I mean, I've only met him once, and he definitely was, yeah, breaking my. Oh yeah, he was. He's a ball breaker, and like he's blaming me for things, and like I'm like, oh, easy, they don't blame me. Like he's like, I'm a little rusty, you know. I haven't done a movie in eight fucking years. Like I think the last movie he did before that was uh, uh, Love Ranch. Oh, with Taylor wow. Hackford, who was the director. And um, I think there was a few, like eight years before that, before he was in a movie again. And then De Niro casted him in The Good Shepherd. And it was a great cameo. And I, w- I was so happy to be in that movie because it was Pesci's kind of like return as having a cameo in a movie. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. But he was, a, he was a ball breaker. He went, and you know what? I respect that because you know what? He had his, like, he paid his dues. He did his thing. Oh, he's and- wonderful. Best, he, he just wants a, he just wants a golf. That's a, you know what he just wants. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be met him. Yeah, yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah, do process golf course in New Jersey. I don't, you know what? I don't blame him. Just, yeah. He just wants a he just wants a golf. He's done his thing. He's won an Oscar. I get it. Yeah, he's good. Um, I want to know what have you been watching? Any classic movies or TV shows that you can recommend for the meatballs that have kind of been I don't know comforting you and making you get through the time a little easier. Well, when we first got on the uh, the lockdown, we um, well, we me, meaning me, me, I um, I said, you know what? I never saw Breaking Bad. I said, now's the time to kind of like watch it. Yeah, that was yeah. like, early, well, that was mid March when we first went on lockdown, mid March, right? So I I, bang, I banged out uh, Breaking Bad. I think in two weeks, incredible. Of course, people were like, "What were you waiting for?" I'm like, "There's so much content. Like, I'll get to it." And I finally got to it. What a ride. Incredible. I have to say, probably probably tied with Sopranos. Or maybe really? uh, yeah. Because without 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 Sopranos, there's no Walter White. Um, as far as classic movies, I love Pulp Fiction. It's the only movie I've seen in the theater six times. I told Tarantino that. He was like, really? I'm like, and that was almost 30 years ago that that movie came out. Only movie I saw in a theater. Six times. Still always a guilty pleasure. I love that movie. Pope of Greenwich Village. If you haven't seen it, Meatballs, you got to get on that. Yes, uh, yes. Midnight Run with Charles Grone and Robert De Niro, directed by Martin Brest. And an Amy Heckerlin classic besides Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Johnny Dangerously. Ooh, I haven't seen that one. Come on. I haven't. Jacqueline? Who's in that? Joe Piscopo, Michael what? Keaton. Come on. Come on. Now Listen, I know what I'm watching tonight. Please, please promise me you will find that movie tonight and watch it. Johnny Dangerously. I'm going to give you a full review tomorrow. Um, Jacqueline? Jacqueline, you're going to be like, where was this movie all my life? I'm in trouble. Yeah, it's <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. Well, you have made it to the Just Enough sports segment. I just want to know, because they're saying it was just released, that possibly we're going to have live sporting events happening even in June. Um, I want to know, have you been missing baseball? You're a huge Mets fan. What do you think about this? Do you think you could watch people play and just watch it from home? Do you think it's a good idea? I got to tell you, I um, the spring, summer reminds me of baseball so much as a kid. Being that I grew up five minutes away from Shea Stadium, I can literally – walk 20 minutes to Shea Stadium from Flushing. Like, yeah, just those days of being a kid and loving the Mets. 
and following the Mets and then not hearing, you know, the only time that we didn't have a baseball, uh, well, World Series, I think was like in the 90s when the strike was on. So no baseball would be sad, but baseball, just watching it, if they, you know, cut it right, watching it on TV, I would love that. Um, it's going to be a short season from what I'm hearing. Yeah. I do, you know, I have to, I've, I go to opening day at City Field for the last like year, you know, few years that, that I've been in town to, to, to go to City Field. So I'm, I miss definitely going to opening day this year. It felt kind of weird because it's springtime, flowers are blooming, baseball season, but there's no baseball. It's very weird. It's I so would weird. love, I would love to watch it on TV. But it's gotta, it's gotta be. I guess, I guess it's, it, it can't look weird. Like it's gotta be done. You know, it's gonna be live, but the camera work's gotta be real crafty that you feel like you're engaged in it and it feels like normal. And I know the cliche new term is the new normal. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, I just don't know if I would be going back to a stadium anytime soon. Yeah. Like, until we know there's a vaccine or treatment or really some great process in place to be at a concert or at a sporting event, I want to be at a, on a summer night or spring day watching a baseball game and watching my Metsies. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't know if it's possible right now. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, right now it's just, it's very hard to think about that. Like, why would you want to just like jump into a crowd right now? You know? That's why, right. I kind of, that's why I kind of had to adapt. I was working on kind of like a musical version of Cruise as like um, a theater production. I had a, a few places booked. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, it was going to be like a musical version and, um, you know, totally something, you know, different, but along the lines of like Cruise with the 80s music and I was going to bring back my murder mystery concept and but I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon, which is sad. That's why I'm like adapting to like a cooking show and, you know, writing uh, a children's book and doing just different, like not, I was doing them before, but just being more realistic about the time frame of like how we actually get back to filming TV and film. Now you're in LA, so um, I hear, you know, I hear like all different stories about when they're actually going to like open up and finally get back to like, you know, walking before running. Like I hear minimal crew, minimal actors, minimal, minimal everything until they really get back to like filming, filming. I'm, I'm hearing it's going to take a little bit, especially in LA. I'm you know, here in September, but it's crazy. I mean, here I've already walked past like small film crews like filming at homes in the hills and stuff like that on my walk so who knows i know people are definitely like trying to churn out content and we'll see what happens i don't know i miss it i miss i miss miss it too and i miss uh i was gonna i was coming out to la i was there in february for the academy awards and then i um was supposed to come back in march and then i had a ticket booked for like mid March, and then and then lockdown happened, and that was it. I was like, wow, it like went from like February to March, and you know, I will admit though, like, uh, you know, I'm not. I don't want to sound like you know, the, you know, this. You know, oh yeah, yeah, I'm not the guy that didn't think it was going to get bad. Like, I took it lightly, just like everyone else did. Like, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that it was going to go where it went. Like, yeah. it just it happened. 
it happened. It, it happened. It's been happening for a few months, but then it happened so quickly that it was like, what? Why? Like, I was like, what happened? Like everybody, like with nine eleven, everyone's trying to compete. Like, kind of like use the analogy of like nine eleven. But nine eleven, we got to like talk to people and hug people and be like, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. This was like all virtual. We're going to get through it. But like the world now, it wasn't just New York and the other places that were affected through nine eleven. It was the world. And like, if you were feeling vulnerable, you couldn't just like hug somebody and be like, oh, cause you got all these like ways of following the lockdown, like the mask and sanitizing and washing it. Don't touch your face. So it was very, very strange. And it's definitely going to be etched as one of the, you know, crazier moments in our, in my lifespan, let's say. Oh yeah. No, it's insane. And I, I literally walk, I go on these long walks for, I live in West Hollywood and I'll walk to Beverly Hills or deep into Hollywood. And I sometimes just have to be like, I cannot believe this is, the world we live in right now. Like, oh, oh my God. I like, well, I, you know, I, I live in a, in, a, in a nice neighborhood and there's not a, you know, plants growing and grass is growing and, and it's, you know, but just you walk around and you see people with masks on and you go into a store and you gotta have a mask on. It's just, it's just a very weird reality to adapt to. But um, I just, you know, I, I would, I would trade in, any of any of the successes, whatever the definition of success is, to be like, you know what, just to make sure that everybody is safe and, and healthy and gets through this because there's there's been a lot of ups and downs with this. Like yeah. I've had, I'm not macho man. Like I'm not like, yeah, I'm tough. Like I could be in, you know, I'm born and raised in New York. I tell people, they're like, well, what was it living in LA? I like, it doesn't matter if you're born and raised in New York. Living in LA was tough. It wasn't easy. And you could be like as tough as like nails, but going through this as a New Yorker and then just as, you know, thinking you have that character being a tough guy, I'm not going to like, you know, shrug it to the side and be like, yeah, I can get through it. Like I had my good days and good nights and bad days and bad nights. There was a night where I was like crying like a baby. To myself, I'm like, what I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, like, I had my I had my moments because my biggest fear, not being a parent and being a dad, yeah. and having a little girl that doesn't quite know what's going on, is like, like I want to be around for my kid, and I started seeing and hearing and watching social media, and there were kids losing their parents this fucking virus. Excuse yeah. my language. No, so it scared the shit out of me, and it still scares the shit out of me because I want to be there until a hundred for my my daughter. Like you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it becomes priorities become a lot different. So I just was, you know, I still am scared. Like it's it's a scare. It's a scary time, but and also I a very open minded time. Like just yeah. take it, good and bad, and everything will be okay. Well, thank you so for being so open and honest and just comforting. I feel like come on, come on, Jacqueline. I know you're a long time. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be like. Uh, I gotta watch out what I'm saying. I, I, I will be. I, I will say I'm a big fan of the movie of Bridges of Madison County. The Bridges of Madison County. I love that movie. I, I I weep every time I see it. I'm a romantic at heart. Love it. Um, yeah, everybody needs a good cry every now and then, right? 
Oh God, yes. <laughs> Get us out. No, and your daughter is a very lucky girl to have you. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, she's, she's, she, I always say, "Who's who's?" Like I go, "Who's my number one?" She goes, "Me." That's right. She's my she's she's my number one. Oh my goodness! Wow, what a lucky girl. And I'm so lucky, and the meatballs are so lucky that we got to talk to you for an hour today. I want you um pimp yourself out. Tell them where they could find your work and you know, just all your social media handles and stuff like that. Um, best way to like find me as a filmmaker is potenzamediagroup.com or on Instagram at Gino Caffarelli. Amazing. And guys, watch. Jacqueline, me. Jacqueline. <laughs> yes. I, I loved this podcast just now. Aww, awesome. Yay. <laughs> I did. I had a lot. No, seriously. I had a lot of fun. And it was just very easy breezy, and I, I felt um, very comfortable. Thank, thank you for having me on, and um, you're doing a great job, and I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll have to have you back on and catch up with you once this is all over. Um, guys, yes, let's talk, let's talk food again next time. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> and meatballs, thank you so much for listening. Please, please. I will cook. I will cook for your meatballs. Yes. I will cook, I, I will <laughs> cook my God. Cooking, cooking cutlets with the meatballs. I'll give them to your friends. I'll do it. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna set it up. I want to know your chicken meatball recipe. So that's it. We're gonna. It's gonna happen, guys. Thank you for listening, reviewing, rating, and sharing the podcast with your friends. I'm Jacqueline Marfuji. This is What's Your Jersey. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Just put your paws up because you were born this way, baby. My mama told me when I was young